You're listening to the Barebow Archery Podcast. This is part two of our Joel Turner special. We talk about target panic, shot control, the Vegas shoot, and how the top-ranked barebow shooters shoot without a trigger. So turning back to um, Vegas, mm-hmm. you went. Was it last year? And this is this is your second year at Vegas. Yeah, yeah, uh, second year this year. What what motivated you to go to Vegas? What was the kind of? Did you just want to go to Vegas to you know play the slots, or no. was it was there was there a reason behind it? I I use everything I can for concentration practice. I have to find more stress. I use every one of these big tournaments for concentration practice. I use every shot for concentration practice. So, you know, my son Bodie is just an absolute shooting machine because of his control that he has. Because I've had Bodie doing uh, shooting demonstrations for me in my clinic since he was four years old. So I've I've inoculated him somewhat to those stressors, but so now to the point where we have to find more stress. So Vegas gives us that stress. I go to I go to shoot and test and and interview people and all these things. Bodie goes and tests his business, and this year he won the young adult uh, competition. So. And he just turned 13, and he beat all the 15 to 17-year-olds. Well done, so, Bodie. You know, but he, you know, in talking about his last shot when he was going to shoot a 300, you know, he needed to shoot a 300 to win that. And his last shot, he said, oh, man, Papa, I was just screaming in my head. Keep it moving, right? Because that's what I always tell him. You just got to keep your release moving no matter what your pin is doing. So where is he going to get that? other than hunting or, you know, these high-stress tournaments because Bodie's becoming more and more known now. I mean, I'm I'm fairly known. I'm not necessarily known for winning, but I'm known as the target panic guy. So if I was to go up on that little yellow line on the floor and shoot uncontrolled arrows, I mean, my credibility is on the line every time I pull that bow back. People are watching, and I know that, and I use that. Right, I use that stress to make me stronger. Is the, that, is, is the pressure different at Vegas? Say, you know, you've got a background in hunting, mm-hmm. um, kind of shooting outdoors. Is the pressure on an indoor, you know, a Vegas round or a world archery round, at, say, going to the Kings of Archery, the Roma Trophy, the mm-hmm. the classic at Lancaster or Vegas, mm-hmm. doing one of these kind of high profile um, uh, indoor rounds, especially with the kind of head to heads and being up on the podium, uh, that kind of situation. Is the pressure different? Is there? Is it because the pressure? You, you're not in a hunting situation where you've got that one shot. You've got sixty shots, and you've got to make a perfect shot on 60 shots is it is there some difference between those 
in at Vegas because I mean that Vegas target scares the hell out of people because it's such a small target and you've got the different colors, you know, and you can see, yep, that one went in the gold. Oh my God, that one went in the blue, you know? So it's, you know, and, and everybody can see your target. So, you know, it's, it's all those things. Uh, the first year I went to Vegas, I noticed unlike any other tournament before my legs felt unstable, right? I, a little shaky in my legs, which has never happened to me before even in high stress sniper events that's never happened before. So I'm like, okay, this is cool, right? I'm going to use this. And then my palms were sweaty. So this year I shot a different grip, right? With a different material on the grip. Cause I knew that my palms were going to be super sweaty. Uh, you can feel your heart beating just like in a hunting scenario. So, I mean, it's, it's different and it's impossible to replicate. Yeah, that's why I urge people to get to these high-level events and experience that and learn from it and learn what happens to your body. I mean, I asked so many people this at Vegas: what happens to your body when you step on that line? People are like, oh man, my hands start sweating, or or my legs shake, or or my hands get really tense. Well, you got to imagine that if your hands are really tense, your release is going to be different. Have you ever practiced shooting in practice with a more tense hand, right? Have you ever practiced with a sweaty palm? All these things, you know, you have to tune your bow. Like in the compound world, people are going to have more muscle tension. So are you going to be against the back of the wall? Does your bow shoot in the same spot at the back of the wall as the front of the wall where you normally shoot it? You know, same thing in a stick bow. It's, you have to know what's going to happen to a point. Control everything that you can. Like I had a like last year at Vegas, I didn't have a shooter towel on my quiver. This year, I had a shooter towel because I know that my hands were going to be sweaty. Yeah, just uh, those those little things like that are huge. But if you don't treat it as a humongous learning experience, you're not necessarily going to get any better. Yeah, it. and that's. That's also part of the kind of competition preparation where you, you, you're basically taking elements of stress out of mm -hmm. your day. You know, if you if you know you've got sweaty hands and you don't take a towel or you don't do something to your grip um, mm -hmm. or you don't buy some kind of, you know, medical product that helps with sweaty palms, then that it's kind of you're almost preparing to have problems. Because you right. know that's going to come up, and then you're going to yeah. sit there, practically punching yourself in the face, saying, "Why didn't <laughs> I sort this out? Why right. didn't I sort that out?" You know, yeah. I knew this was going to happen, and it's kind of you're not preparing to be your best on the day. Like yeah. you were saying, you know, you you need to prepare. You need to think about how does my body react under stress. Yeah. Um, I know when when you were saying about tuning your boat to shoot under stress. I had a round, I stopped scoring for a while because I got not terrible target panic. I was spraying arrows, but not like, you know, I wasn't hitting the next guy's target or the right. floor or the ceiling. Mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't, the, the, the pre-ignition movements, the pre-shot movements were there, the kind of flinches, but they weren't that bad. Mm -hmm. But what I did notice is that I would, 
my thing is for a collapse, a slight collapse, and every arrow did exactly the same thing. In fact, I put almost five or six arrows in mm -hmm. almost the same hole right. um, with my kind of collapse. So mm -hmm. I, just incidentally, I was looking through, I got a, a notification on YouTube and it was uh, somebody doing a, a, a kind of a tour around the Hoyt factory and then they, they'd built a bow from scratch. And their last kind of thing was about just tuning, basic tuning. And he was saying, well, if I have a bad shot, I know my release is going to be a bit slow and I might have a tiny bit of a collapse. So I want a slightly weaker arrow so mm -hmm. that it doesn't go to the right. It mm -hmm. kind of goes more towards the center. And I've got mm -hmm. more chance of scoring higher points by yeah. doing that. And I was like... That little bit of a penny dropped at that point, and I was like, mm -hmm. "Yeah, maybe I've not set my tune up. My arrows are slightly stiff. Mm -hmm. They hit the center on good shots, but they're going left on bad shots because I'm a right-handed shooter. Right. So, yeah, for me, maybe that's one thing I need to take a look at is that you know I need to sort out the collapsing, but I know if I do have a collapse, that is going to be the outcome. Um, and so when you but back to it though, when you you know, there's only certain things that you can control. Yeah, yeah. You cannot control pre-ignition movements. That's why you have to either completely eliminate them with a mechanoreceptive trigger or you have to minimize them through good form and being able to separate your shot. So the blueprint, like I said, you can't take the same body with you, so you have to take the same mind. That's where the blueprint comes in, knowing exactly how you mentally shoot your controlled shot because you can always take that with you yeah and you know that's just a such a huge thing and that's that's what i use these tournaments for is is just using that stress to make me stronger and to learn so on the line you said you spoke to a lot of people at vegas mm -hmm. um i mean just describe to me uh, you know some of the things that people said they were having problems with. I was speaking offline earlier with uh, James Norwood, and he was saying you helped really oh. helped him through um, some of his problems. And he kind of thought it would be good if you would share, you know, how you'd helped him if you can remember. Um, yeah. And he was, you know, he really appreciated that. And we we spoke offline, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, at great length previous to today uh, about. Mm -hmm you know, shooting issues, kind of, you know, why these things happen, how everything kind of changes from being in practice to being in competition. Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of things were you seeing and, you know, kind of what advice did you give to people? You don't have to name names, but, you know, right. what what kind of things were you saying and, and what helped people the most? Right. Well, one of the things that, like with James, he he came up to me and, and I had just met him the day before. You know, we just briefly said hi to each other and, you know, because everybody knows everybody from social media. And I was standing in the middle of a, a, an aisle and he came up to me and said, this is the worst day ever. And it was our oh second. Dear. Oh, dear. And he said, this is the worst day ever. And I said, nobody's shooting at you right now. So it's not the worst day ever. <laughs> right? I'm like, <laughs> right. So I'm like, what 
is what's happening, right? He said, and he would he would describe his process. And when people describe their process, they describe everything up to their shot activation movement because most people don't have that. So if they don't have that, I know that they didn't separate their shot between these two jobs. So, you know, just asking simple questions like, like we've talked about before, what are you thinking about at full draw? Well, I'm thinking about this and he was all into his form aspects and this and that. And, and then it just breaks down. Right. And not that he said that, but that's what it, that's usually what I get. It's just, yeah. I just, it didn't happen. Right. And he was talking about the feel, the feel of his controlled shot that's on the practice line. How do I take that with me? He said, because when I got on the line, I didn't feel anything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. somebody that's only practiced the physicality of it. No blueprint. So we then went to the practice line. I said, okay, I told him about the storm, right? About weathering the storm, getting through that one second, adding here I go into your shot to separate the first job from the second. And, you know, the second or the, the day after that, when he shot, it was a completely different person. He, you know, he had fun, he enjoyed it, and he knew how he did it. And that's one of the most important things. So when I talk to these folks and or they're asking me questions about shot processes and stuff, most people will tell me everything they can about their physical shot process. But nobody's out there working on their blueprint. They're not using every shot to make their blueprint stronger. Right? The blueprint's got to be made so strong that it becomes a principle by which you live. Like I don't have to step up on the line anymore and go, I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. That's just a fundamental truth now. I'm not going to shoot an uncontrolled arrow ever. I'm not going to do it. I've been there, done that. It's a dark place. I'm not going back there. Right? Yeah. But that's where I am in my shot control. I have made it a principle by which I live. I'm not going to shoot an uncontrolled arrow. So, I mean, it didn't even enter my mind to not get through my sear on the line. It didn't even, it doesn't even register. I'm not ever going to do that. Right. So uh, that's, you know, that's when, when people are asking me the questions, I always have to hit them back with, what are you thinking about? Right. And then I, the, just the explanation of that storm and getting yourself the storm and the aim and getting yourself through that and through that critical second and separating it with that decision here I go or whatever you want to say there does, it is does powerful. that does that question you know what are you thinking about that does that reveal all of the issues does that reveal the crux of the problem it, it, it kind of you don't really need to go any further you ask them that question and like you say, they talk about, oh, well, I'm checking for this, the, the string yeah. picture here, and uh, where's my tip on the target? And you're kind of yeah. like, mm, no, that's all that's yeah. all good stuff, but that's not going to get you get you to right. the podium. Because Martin, Martin was saying that um, the it, he's been shooting so long um, since, you know, the, the, uh, the early 90s at least, and he's like, yeah, I've got a shot process, but it doesn't really involve any of that stuff of like kind of checking alignment and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't think about raising the bow. I don't mm -hmm. do anything like that. He said, the only thing that I think about is where my elbow is because mm -hmm. that's I know that's where I've had problems in the past. So mm -hmm. I'll make sure 
after that elbow position. And he's like, he said, you know, it, the, the critical part of the shot is what you do after you're at anchor. That's the important bit. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, where's my hand at the start of the shot? How much? Where right. my feet? Where my feet are? He said, yeah. I, I don't. That that doesn't enter my mind. It's mm-hmm. once I get to anchor, then it's what happens after that. What you do, what decisions you make. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all those. The the first job in your shot is to draw back and aim, get it done, watch it to keep it. That involves lots of stuff that is not mentioned, right? That involves putting your hand in the bow, putting your, you know, getting your hook on the string. It, it involves all those things, but all those should be made automatic motor programs through perfect practice, right? You practice it to the point where if it was incorrect when you put your hand in your bow, you would feel it instantly. Yeah. And you fix it, right? As long as all those movements are very easy to fix as long as job one is completely separated from job number two. Job number two, again, is to put your concentration onto the movement that either gets your bow to go off or it gets you through your trigger, one of the two. So, you know, as long as aiming doesn't equal an explosion, it's really easy to aim. I mean, if you if you don't believe that, you can just simply say, okay, I'm not going to shoot this shot, and you simply put your point exactly where you want it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. How that's how every aim feels for me, and that's how every aim should feel for you because the aim has to mean nothing. It's just something you get done. You don't have control over it. You set it, and you watch it. That's how you keep it there. Yeah, you know? that, that's something I've been doing the last the last few days, trying to break the link with being on the gold, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm kind of working on a lot of things, especially um, – my form i've traded mm-hmm. down to a, a really really light bow just a 20 pound mm-hmm. set of limbs mm-hmm. um just so that i can get the feel of being in alignment drawing mm-hmm. the bow properly using the, the you know the correct technique my mm-hmm. arms and limbs are in the right places i can feel mm-hmm. the back tension i can yep. hold and then i've got a little fiberglass bow that i think is my daughter's bow mm-hmm. um and I will stick an arrow on that with my um, shot trainer so that there can mm-hmm. be no accidents in the house, um, cool. which is safety first, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will just stand there. I'll have a little tiny feet, uh, 20 centimeter target, and I mm-hmm. will draw up, stick the arrow there. And like you say, I know I am not going to release that shot. And I mm-hmm. can hold on that that spot oh, yeah. accurately for forever. Sure. You know. As long as, as long as no explosions coming because of that aim, yeah, it you're free to do whatever you want, and that's how every aim should feel because you're not shooting yet. You've got more jobs to do. You've got more decisions to make. Um, when you you know if you're working through that aim and the storm and the aim and all those things, it is imperative that you add a decision in the critical second. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you realize that you've got more decisions to make and more jobs to do, then your aim's going to feel just like what you're explaining there. Yeah, yeah. It's just something you get done. It has nothing to do with you shooting an arrow. So, Joel, on your courses, you've got um, 
Shot IQ, is it now? It's changed from Iron Mind. It's gone to Shot IQ. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Where can they find you um, in terms of a website or a, a Facebook feed or anything like that? Yeah, so it's uh, shotiq.com. That's my website. And then, you know, on there we've got online courses and such. And I've got a book, Control Process Shooting, on Amazon. And uh, I've got that. I've got that. I bought that. <laughs> it's uh, Joel Turner underscore shot IQ on Instagram and Facebook and all those things. So, yeah. And then I do a lot of work with the guys at the push. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just phenomenal fellas over there. So, yeah, really good. Got me into yeah. Bearbo. Um, yeah. They don't know that, but they did. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was doing Olympic recurve and I was very disillusioned and I, I wanted something simpler which mm-hmm. at the time I didn't realize how less simple tu- yeah, right. tuning and tuning a bare bow is for string walking. I'd, right. have, I'd have stuck with the Olympic recurve if I'd have known. But um, right. yeah, I, I, I found their podcast. I listened to your program. I listened mm-hmm. to John Demers. I listened to all of the kind of anything that I could, you know, soak up like a sponge, any kind of knowledge um, I listened to over and over again. And do you run um, kind of courses that some people aren't great online? They're not, you know, they're not connected to social media. Um, do you run courses and do you do kind of seminars? You were telling me you were heading out to New Zealand. Is that is that business or pleasure? It's it's both. So I'm doing a two day shooting clinic. Tom Tom Clum Senior and I are going to be doing a two day shooting clinic in New Zealand, but. I have people come from all over the world to uh, to Washington State, and I go. I travel a lot as well. So, you know, a lot of people don't like to learn online or whatever, and and it is, it is more powerful to have me right there with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, because I can help you find determination. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, it's just a pile of fun because, like I said, people are usually very easy to break at the start. And by the end of it, their FU Turner factor is so high that I can do anything. I can slap them on the back of the leg or tap their head or whatever it may be. And that causes their determination to go up. They start to now use stress to make them stronger. And once you do that, you become a very powerful individual in shot control. Do you need that kind of level of determination, that kind of level of aggression on every shot is that something you need or can you shoot a bit more relaxed or is it do you need to really be up there to kind of keep your mental state in the in the correct kind of uh in the just in the right zone essentially once you hit your turning point the point at which it means more to you to stay in the shot process than to even shoot the arrow it's a giant realization. It's a turning point, a literal turning point in your life. And, you know, it takes a massive amount of determination to get to your turning point. But it can be the next shot. I mean, people ask me how long it takes to do my program. And I always tell them it takes as long as it takes you to make a decision. That could be in one arrow. Yeah. Right. I mean, I remember when Matt was first going through. Matt Zernzak was first going through it. He told me that he finally shot a perfect arrow on shot number two hundred and sixty. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you wasted two hundred and fifty-nine of them." <laughs> I bet you, you know? love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if, and that's that's it, though. I mean, 
it takes some people a little bit of time to hit their turning point. But once you hit your turning point and, and shot control becomes this principle, it becomes a fundamental truth, then it gets so easy to control your shot no matter where you go. And then you start seeking stress, like me going to Vegas and me going to other shoots, right? Yeah. I mean, like going to IBO Trad Worlds. I didn't have to shoot and recurve unaided with my longbow, but I did just to get the pressure up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you learn so much from that. It's so hard to replicate. So I'm, I'm constantly seeking this so that I can become better and I can learn about my own self and I can learn about others. And then I, I figure out a way to get that information to other people. And that's, that's the beauty of the online courses. When I when I learn things, I can then vet it. I don't know. I don't just put stuff out there. I vet it, make sure that it is it is the actual truth. It's science based and all these things. And then I can make a new module. So, you know that the online course is a constantly evolving thing, and it's uh, that can be built on. It's really cool. But yeah, so I travel all over the place, and people come to me, and and uh, just trying to get people in control of their shot because archery is it's such a huge thing for it's not just something we do it's who we are yeah yeah so it's really cool to watch people in control of their shots i was speaking with dwight dorsey um earlier in the week and mm-hmm. he he name checked you he uses a a grip sear which mm-hmm. for those that don't know maybe you could explain what the kind of grip sear and the tab sear because i remember um, I think it was, did I see a video or I heard about it on the push? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this grip seer? What is this tab seer? And I Googled right. it and I couldn't find anything right. on it. And it was driving me nuts. <laughs> I think in the end I I, um, I emailed um, the push and said, what, what is this thing? I can't find right. anything about it. Um, right. But he was saying he, um, he'd spoke with you a couple of times mm-hmm. and he said, you were a very patient man. <laughs> he said, <laughs> you're a very patient man. Um, <laughs> big shout out to Dwight. He did a really good, um, podcast right. with me the other day. Yeah, um, I'm, about, I'm almost, I'm not quite halfway through it yet, but so a sear system is like Dwight was explaining in a firearms trigger, a sear is simply two hard surfaces that are pulled apart until there's no more purchase. Yeah. Well, I started messing around with things and because I there's a there's a phenomenal compound shooter in the US and he shoots um, sights with fingers on a compound and nobody can touch him right I mean he's shooting 540 field rounds all kinds of stuff with his fingers nobody can touch him and I watch him shoot. I'm like, man, this guy is just holding rock steady on the spot. So I know that he's he's got something, right? And I watch guys shoot against him with clickers, and I'm like, man, their shot is so much more dynamic, and they're having to put so much back tension into the shot that it is a huge input. So I'm watching this guy shoot, and I start asking him questions, and he shows me his tab. And his tab – had a little piece of mylar like a duck call reed on it that he would put on the back side of the knock. He would load this thing and it would bend around the back side of the knock and to the point where when he would stretch he would relax his hand the back of his hand slightly 
this little piece of mylar would slip out from behind the knock of the arrow and slap him in the cheek. So that's his mechanoreceptive trigger, but because he doesn't have to add a huge amount of back tension to it, it's more accurate. So that's that set me on a path of research trying to figure out how am I going to put that into my system with my recurve yeah. or my longbore or whatever. So that's when I started to figure out a tab sear. So I started a tab sear first. So you can simply use the – if you have a long enough thumb, you can use the back of the plate. So essentially you would draw back an aim, get it done, watch to keep it. And then you would hook the back edge of that plate, of the tab plate, with your thumbnail. And then you simply, like if you want to see how it works, if you hook your, your thumbnail over your pinky fingernail and then just press toward your palm, you'll feel a pressure increase, and then all of a sudden the pinky pops out from underneath it. Right. That's a sear system. That's two hard surfaces, both of your nails, that are pulled apart until there's no more purchase. You don't know when it's going to pop. You only concentrate on the movement that makes it pop. So when you hook your thumbnail on the back edge of that tab, you simply start pressing toward your palm, and that breaks the, it breaks the sear, right? Yeah, yeah. So the mechanoreceptors that are in the skin cells of your thumb – send the signal to your brain, your brain then sends the release motor program. That's how it works. That's how mechanoreceptors work. You're listening to the Bad Podcast. Don't touch that dial. Dwight was saying that he could hear, he tried the tab seer, uh, mm -hmm. he did use it for a while, but he was saying he could actually hear because he said he's never been able to shoot without a, without a clicker. He, mm -hmm. he, he he just could not shoot even a compound with sure. he he had he struggled from the get go and mm -hmm. thanks to a couple of guys that he, one of them he called the clicker whisperer he just yeah. knew how to set the clicker up a limb mounted clicker like perfectly yeah. from the yeah. get go and that was his kind of saving grace that kind of that that kept him in the sport and he would have given mm -hmm. it up i think without right. that and he mm -hmm. said he tried the tab see and he he said it was a great transition for him mm -hmm because mm -hmm. he could actually hear because it was so close to his ear he could hear mm -hmm. and it hear the 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 say the kind of fingernail popping mm -hmm. off i think it was the edge sure. of his yoast riser yoast um tab yeah. and mm -hmm. he said that for me that a transition from a clicker where you've got this audible click mm -hmm. that that worked for him he said he he just found for him the the tab seer you know, pinging a, a fingernail off the edge of the, the, the finger tab. He just mm -hmm. found it a little bit too inconsistent. And mm -hmm. then he switched to the grip sear. So could you just quickly explain the grip sear? So grip sear is the same thing. So as soon as I started shooting with my thumb instead of my fingers, I had to move the sear system. So I just moved it to the front hand instead of on my release hand. So on that grip sear, it's simply, you know, if you if you have a riser design that's got a slight radius to it on the front, you can simply set your, I use my ring fingernail. I think Dwight uses his ring fingernail as well. So you can simply set that ring fingernail up there, draw back an aim, get it done, watch to keep it. Here I go, right? Fill that second, and then you start pressure. You start pressing that ring fingernail back toward your knuckle base, if you will, and that will pop off the front edge of that riser. You can also use the edge of your grip if you've got a replaceable grip on your bow. 
It's just an edge. Whatever you can do to make an edge. The first thing that I used was actually a device, which is not legal in world archery, but I used a I actually drilled and tapped my my riser on the front edge of it and I screwed in a mylar washer. So just a little plastic washer, which is an edge. And so as I increase pressure with that, it flexes slightly and pops. I know Zernzak uses a guitar pick. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that same concept, but if you go world archery, you can't add a device to your bow. So you have to use either the front edge of the riser or the front edge of the grip or, or whatever. You just cannot add a device to your bow. So, so once you've started using this system, mm -hmm. um, uh, Martin was saying to me, um, look, you've got to make a decision. You either use the system and you stick with it mm -hmm. or you don't use the system, but mm -hmm. you can't one day shoot with a seer after kind of trading in your kind of your old shot mm -hmm. picking up with the seer and then tomorrow kind of going oh, i've got a big competition um now nah, i'm not going to use it he said right. you can't you can't just do that you've got to kind of commit or if you do want to you know you do make a decision where you think okay i want to kind of go back to my old ways for mm -hmm. want of a better term, you're looking at, you know, four to six weeks, possibly more, to kind of come back off it again. It, it, do you well, think it's a wise thing to kind of flick between the two systems? It's two completely different mind frames, right? So yeah. if you shoot with a sear or a clicker or feather to nose or any mechanoreceptive trigger, the mechanoreceptors in your skin cells are sending the signal to send the release motor program. If you don't use a mechanoreceptive trigger, your subconscious sends the signal. So, and if the subconscious is allowed to tell itself when to make the bow explode, it's always going to link pre-ignition movement. So there's, there are two completely different things like shooting with a sear or a clicker or whatever doesn't make you a better non-triggered shooter. Yeah. There, you just have to get, if you're going to shoot non-triggered and again, I've got utmost respect for those guys that, that do that and shoot well that way. You just have to get better at making decisions, right? And realize, yep, you're going to have some pre-ignition movements in there. So you better get your form in check so that your pre-ignition movements have less range of motion. So, but going from one to the other, one does not make you better. Yeah. At at the other, they're two completely different things sending the release motor program. I guess so, under pressure, if you decide one day in a competition that you're going to go to a different system, that's mm -hmm. probably not the best decision you've made that day. You mean a different system, like a different trigger or going from trigger to non-trigger? Trigger to non-trigger. Yeah. it's. I mean, there may, be, there may be a slight honeymoon period with that. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as you allow the subconscious to tell itself when to release, you start into the learning process, and it's trying to make you more efficient. It's trying to push you away from the cognitive stage of learning. When you're shooting with a trigger, it's a lot easier to stay in that cognitive stage because you're using the self-talk and you're actually moving at a rate you could stop, but it's fast enough you can feel, right? You can evaluate it. It's a lot easier to stay cognitive in that 
Whereas non-triggered shooting, your subconscious is always trying to push you toward efficiency. It's always trying to throw autopilot in there. And, you know, the skill is being able to knock autopilot out. So that's why your decisions in non-triggered shooting have to be even stronger, even more determination, right? That's why I respect those people so much that, that do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the the non-triggered shooting, when they're saying when you're saying their shot activation movement, mm-hmm. what what are they employing at that point? Because clearly they're not if they're not using a trigger. So if they're not using mm-hmm. any kind of sear, a tab sear or a grip sear, right. they're not popping a finger off a, mm-hmm. a off an edge. Yep. What is it that they're moving? Because it it tends to from what I've kind of picked up, especially with internet forums and Facebook forums mm-hmm. and things like that, it's like, oh, you need to really, you know, hone in on back tension and that right. needs to be your kind of goal. But like you right. were saying, you're not, you're, you don't turn up at competition with the same body. Everything feels yeah. different. Or like you were saying, some people don't feel anything anymore. You right. know, it's like the vague times has kind of just kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> enveloped your body and right. every every feeling, every sensation is slightly vague or it's completely over heightened to right. where, you know, tiny movements just feel like huge movements. So right. if they're not triggering with a mechanical device or an external mm-hmm. device, what exactly are they, are they, are they using? It usually ends up when, you know, this is what's usually taught is to add tension, right? Add tension. And, but the tension is actually the trigger now. Yeah. So your movement is the trigger. So when you see most of these people shoot a non-triggered shot, even though they may say they're using, they're triggering it with back tension, you don't see that arrow come back anymore. Yeah. It usually the, even a thought toward the tension will release the string. But if they can at least get themselves to that point, the arrows are going to go in the same place. So it's when you completely abandon ship and you don't even get to that thought of back tension and you start shooting within the critical second. Then you start shooting before the critical second and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So keeping yourself at least cognitive enough to get to here I go and then you do what you can to add some back tension into that, that will get everything moving in the right direction, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, just being cognitive in that particular moment. I'm actually working on on some new triggers that don't require anything. Um, it's, it's very interesting. I've been doing a lot of research just in this last week with a different uh, air movements – inside your mouth okay if you were to interesting right so if you draw back and aim get it done watch to keep it and then you start to draw air in actually through your it's through your nose really but you have to get air over your vocal cords okay Okay? your vocal cords will vibrate at a specific pressure and airspeed you don't know when that is so if you were to draw air in Right. If you just draw air in, all of a sudden your vocal cords will vibrate. You don't know when that's going to happen, so it is now a non-anticipatory mechanoreceptive trigger. The mechanoreceptors in the skin cells in your throat 
will pick the vibration up, they will send the signal to the brain, the brain will send the release motor program. So I used to say that there's no such thing as an internal trigger until I started into this path of research. And Vegas is what pushed me toward this because getting through sears in extreme high stress, if you don't have your sear set fairly light, it takes too much tension. It adds too much tension in the system to pop through it. Right. So if you're going to shoot a sear system, make sure that it's in practice, it should almost be too easy to pop through because you're going to have extra hand tension in extreme stress situations. So, But bringing air in over your vocal cords doesn't seem to be that affected by stress. Another one that I've, that I've done just – I just started it today and I'm having some phenomenal results with it. If you were to purse your lips just slightly, not a lot of pressure, just slightly, and then you just push air against your lips, at some point the air breaks the seal. You don't know when that's going to happen. It's very easy to control the air pressure. And it doesn't make a, a lot of sound, but you can certainly feel it in your lips when it when the air breaks the seal. I'm just trying that now. <laughs> I've, yeah. I faded my mic down and just had to get, gave it a go. Yeah. So there are movements that you can do, and usually it has to do with air passage, maybe over your vocal cords, maybe through pursed lips. You might, uh, you know, you might have an air bubble on top of your tongue, and you push that against your the roof of your mouth, and it makes a slight, slight vibration in the, back of your, uh, uh, in the back of your throat. So there's lots of different stuff that can happen. And when I was first doing mechanoreceptive triggers and trying to figure this out, this is like back in 2008, I had what I called the bite release, right? And this is what got me thinking about using my mouth for different triggers. Now, on the bite release, it's just simply that. You draw back an aim, and your teeth are apart. And once the aim is complete, here I go, and then you start moving, you start closing your mouth essentially. And when you feel your teeth come together, that would be the mechanoreceptive trigger. But the problem with that is you can feel it, right? And yeah. so it's anticipatory. And because teeth don't necessarily have mechanoreceptors in them because they're not skin, they're hard. So it's kind of difficult to, are they touching, are they not? And they come together so slowly. So the, Air passage over vocal cords through pursed lips, I'm having some really good results with it. I'm not saying I'm going to go to that, but it's very, it's a very calm shot. Very calm. I mean, the, the aim, and, and it's very easy to set into back tension and be very cognitive in all these specific physical aspects in your shot. And then here I go, and you just start increasing that air pressure, either the cords, over the cords, or through your lips it's it's pretty cool i i i don't think it's a honeymoon stage but i'm not i'm not completely convinced yet as i've got a vetted under stress so i may be killing a red stag by uh by spitting at him <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> just going back to the kind of here i go um mm -hmm. in terms of that that being a, a phrase that you use um are you with the words, are you programming the brain and doing a separation at the same time? Because yes. clearly it takes 
X amount of time, however fast or slow you you make that statement in your head. Mm-hmm. And it, are, are all these things kind of, um, are they very cognitively uh, like spoken words in your mind or is it is it a sensation? I'm always fascinated by this because people, you know, you get the kind of same thing where people learn, people learn by... Some people learn by reading. Some people learn mm-hmm. by visual means, repetition mm-hmm. and things like that. Are these things that you're actually saying or can you use a different mechanism? But is it as well as creating a pause, is it telling you, is it giving your brain an instruction? The same with, you know, draw back a name, the watch it to keep it, that right. kind of thing. Are they um, kind of cues for an action, for a, a state in your mind, and uh, a cue to kind of, um, kind of use up a, a, a certain amount of time to stop you doing something that you might kind of regret in terms of the shot. The question that I always ask people in my clinics is, how do you concentrate? And nobody's really ever been able to give me an answer to that, but. How the how of concentration runs through words. It runs through speech. When you read a word, your conscious mind is in the definition of that word from the first letter to the last letter, and then it leaves. So knowing that, that speech or concentration runs through speech, that's why when you when you're doing a mantra, right? Why are mantras always repetitive and smooth, right? Because they're always attached to some smooth movement, right? So the mantra is not a decision. The mantra is using words to direct and trap concentration into the muscle group. That's why, like, let's say you are moving through a clicker. That's why it's keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, right? There's no end to that. Or maybe it's just simply go. It's smooth. It's rhythmic. How you speak is how you will move, right? Yeah. What what you speak is where your conscious mind goes. So in talking about here I go, the reason that I – came up with here I go not that I came up with I mean people have been using those three words together to fling themselves out of airplanes since we started doing that right yeah yeah. imagine you're standing at the edge of the cliff jumping in the water and if you're thinking in the future if you're thinking about results if you're thinking I don't know if that water's deep enough you'll never jump yeah yeah you have to bring yourself into the present through this decision, like you're standing with your little toesies off the edge of the cliff, and people take a breath, they say, here I go, and then they do a movement that causes their body impact. That is the conscious override. Because if just left to your own mind, it'll never jump off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. Take the conscious override. So, here I go has got so many facets to it, right? So, You are using it at a very specific portion of the shot at a very specific time in the second after the aim is complete. After you are comfortable with the aim, it's not time to shoot. It's time to decide. Here I go. 
So it takes at least one second to say that, just about no matter how fast you say it. Right? Here I go. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it separates the shot between job number one and job number two. It also preps the mind for this second job by making you more present. Again, when you are present, then and only then can you concentrate. So it's a, a shot would sound like if I talked all the way through a shot, it would sound like this. So I would put my hand in the grip. I'd get my hook on the string. I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. That's the original decision. Bow comes up. As I draw the bow back, half draw moment, another decision. I'm going to do this right. I get into my anchor. I get into my aim. Everything's looking good. Weathered the storm. All those things are happening. Here I go. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. And I stay in that. That is my only job after here I go. That's my only job is to move. Slow enough I can stop it. Fast enough I can feel it. Whether you're shooting a clicker, a solid clicker, a grip sear, tab sear, feather nose, any of those things. If you're not shooting with a trigger, all the same stuff happens. Here I go. And then your goal is to add tension to the system so that you don't go the other way, so that you don't collapse. Yeah. Right? You're essentially just trying to limit range of motion for your pre-ignition movements at that point. One thing, so, one thing I didn't hear there, um, Joel, was um, the kind of mind worrying about the last arrow or the next arrow. No. It's, you have completely filled the entire shot with decisions and concentration. There's, you don't hear other things come in. You know, if you do have stress coming in, like if you're, like let's say you're working through your clicker, right? Here I go. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. God, when's this thing going to go off? Yeah, yeah. If you have that thought, you just stopped moving. So how do we get it back? Number one, you got to realize that you're not moving anymore, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. you're, when you're moving closed loop, slow enough you can stop it, very easy to evaluate now, right? So you're moving. Oh, when's this thing going to go off? Oh, wait a minute. That's not right. Here I go. So the here I go is like the arm reaching into the mental mess, plucking out the conscious mind and sticking it back where it needs to be. Yeah. So if you detect an error and you don't have time to let down, then you're going to have to fight. Every fight starts with here I go. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, is, it makes you intensely present in the job at hand, in the process of the shot. It is very powerful. One of the most important things you could ever put into your shot is getting yourself through that critical second by making that decision. Normally in that situation, would you advise somebody, you know, lets down and starts again? But like you say, there are situations that you can't if you're in a hunting situation. Um, but especially say you're in a head-to-head -head and you're up against a 20-second clock, you've got to get that shot off. There's mm -hmm. no come down and, and and look at the judge and say, oh, well, I'm having a bad day. That that shot's got to go to the target. So yep. in that at that situation, you're, you're 
here I go, that's kind of bringing you back in and you're yep. thinking, I've got to do this, you know, this, yeah. the, the, suddenly you've gone from, oh, the, why is the clicker not going off? Because you're, right. you, you, that, that's a, just a distraction. Your mind's gone mm -hmm. off on a tangent there. Right. And so, you know, that here I go brings you back, but now you have to fight. So now you have to use more aggression in your speech. Your mantra isn't keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. Now it's here I go, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, right? You're using more aggression in your speech to make the concentration stronger. <clears throat> if you think of it this way, your brain is connected to your muscles by words, right? So your words create what we call an attention bridge. <clears throat> so every time you say a word, you send a car across the bridge, right? And the car goes across the bridge and it lands in the muscles and it moves. It moves the muscles. Well, if you stop talking, the bridge breaks. So here I go, rebuilds the bridge, but now you can't send cars across. You got to send dump trucks across that are loaded with determination. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where the aggressive speech comes in. Now you're sending dump trucks full of full of determination across the bridge. So you've got and to kind made, of ramp up the the, the kind right. of speech to yep. to you know kind of to be kind of at the same level as the determination that you need. Right. Right. And your bow needs to be tuned for the fight. Yeah. Because you are going to have more tension in the system now, right? Yeah, so where's yeah. that arrow going to hit when you're in the middle of a fight if you had to pull it back in? These are things that, I mean, once you gain control of your shot, you'll really learn what you need to do with bow tunes and such. Yeah, yeah. As far as forgiveness goes. I'm consciously aware that we've been on for a very long time, um, <laughs> Joe. I, 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 my mouth is getting dry. I could hear you coughing. I was like... Is it has it really been that long? Um, uh, just finally, just before we uh, wrap it up, because mm -hmm. I think it's about time to wrap it up. It's uh, it's getting it's getting on for two yeah. a.m. here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is the dedication that I put in. So, uh, um, just a, a a very brief top three tips for um, anyone either shooting at already shooting that you know. They've gone past novice level, they're kind of intermediate level, and anyone just kind of getting into the sport in avoiding the kind of issues that you're talking about. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, you've got your courses, your book, your online mm -hmm. course. Um, sure. Is there something still through, um, is it the push pack? Do you still do something through yeah, that? Yeah, my, my course is also available on the push as well. Yeah. So you've got all of those kind of resources. Are there any kind of fundamental things that people can do just to kind of keep themselves away from kind of putting themselves in a position where it's inevitable that they're going to develop some kind of shot problems. Um, is there something that they can do um, to, to kind of minimize that? And then obviously if they're kind of way down the rabbit hole, they need to come to you. So the first thing that they need to do is realize what are you thinking about during your shot? And just simply asking yourself that question because that's where it all starts. 
what are you thinking about during your shot? The answer to that should be I'm thinking about nothing other than my shot activation movement. So if it's not that, if you're thinking about your aim or your form or whatever it may be, you are on the path of destruction. So simply asking yourself that question, number one. Number two, make sure you're separating the shot between two completely different jobs. Draw back and aim, get it done, and watch it to keep it. You have no other control over it. Separate the shot with a decision. Might be here I go, might be let's do this, might be something else for you. But separate it with a decision and then go into your job number two. Right? Those are two huge things. And if you're having form issues, right, if you're going to shoot a non-triggered shot, you have to be phenomenal in your form just to limit your range of motion in your pre-ignition movements that are going to be there. So, you know, getting a good form coach, there's lots of them out there, lots of smart people out there, way smarter than me in form stuff. So, you know, getting a good coach, but always remember a couple things. Number one, nothing's going to work for you. You have to work for it, but you, the instruction that you take must teach you how to do the work, right? And, you know, just uh, that's, I guess that's I had one of two, but I forgot the other one, but it's, <laughs> that's one of, the main, <laughs> it's one of the main things, right? Just nothing's going to work for you. Don't expect it to work for you. Find some determination. Yeah. And then when you do shoot that, I know the other thing, when you do shoot a good shot, Answer the questions of the blueprint. I mean, there's I, I have a YouTube video out there about blueprinting the controlled shot. What are you thinking? What are you saying? Could I have stopped it? What decisions did you make? And, you know, finding that determination is set to step onto the path of shot control. It's the struggle. I mean, people don't have to struggle that much anymore. There's The information is out there. The minefield has been navigated. Get some knowledge about it. Never forget the core problem in shooting. That was another thing. Make sure that you're bouncing all the instruction you get off of the core problem. Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. So if the instruction that you're getting does not fully engulf that, then you need to really be questioning your instructors. Joel, thank you very much. That was brilliant. You bet. I'm, I'm very, I'm very aware of how we've, we've uh, run over there. Um, but thank you very much for, for coming on, being involved. And I, I'm sure we'll have lots of great feedback from this episode. Perfect. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me, sir. That's it for this week. We really hope you enjoyed our Joel Turner special. And we really hope you got something out of it there. And... If you're suffering from uh, target panic or you've got shot control issues, you can always head along to Joel's site, shotiq.com, and uh, hopefully you can get sorted. As I say, that's it for this week, and next week we'll be turning to some barebow accessories and barebow equipment. So, uh, completely different podcast, and we hope you'll join us for that one as well. Once again, thanks for listening, and you can contact us at the Bearbow Archery Podcast at gmail.com, or you can look us up on Facebook. But remember, please do share and like if you uh, like what we're doing here. 
Thanks a lot. See you now. Produced and presented by Glenn Pringle for Redstone Productions Limited.